It is Sam Summers on the What Do I Do Now podcast, and this episode is someone that I've known a good majority of my life. I have not seen him in years, but due to COVID, it may be a little while, but in the in time being, we still got this platform, and I want to introduce my listening audience to Ty Gray. How you doing today, man? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? We're doing all right. Good. Good deal. All right, so basically how I want to premise this episode is you are in definition a serial entrepreneur. And since I believe the age of 16, you've been really going at it. You've been like self-motivated entrepreneur. And I just want to kind of start from the very beginning and we'll walk up to present day. Okay, yeah. So really, I mean, if we could kind of even go back a few more years prior to 16, it really started for me at about at age 12. And I, okay. and I got into the mindset of, you know, I had older parents. When I was born, my mom was 45 and my dad was 55. I was the last of six children, very much so unexpected. When I went to kindergarten, first grade, and elementary, when they had like parent-teacher day or anytime. Uh, my mom would have to show up at the school because I lived with my mother only, not my father. I knew who he was, but they lived separate and they were never married. My classmates assumed that my mother was my grandmother. So it, it was, it was kind of embarrassing as a kid, right? So I just, I had the mindset of an adult as a child. And it's not because my mom necessarily made me have that mindset. That's just kind of what I grasped onto. And I, and I think it does have something to do with me having older parents. So at any rate, at 12 years old, I started a um, thinking of how I could start making money. So when I turned 18, I could move out of the home. So I started a like a home-based desktop printing publishing business, did business cards, letterheads, flyers, things like that, just off of literally, I don't even know if you're familiar with this device, but it was called like a word processor, yeah. like, kind of like a computer, laptop, design, not, you know, doesn't have a software or anything. And, and I just did, I started my business off of a, a word processor. And by 15, I was able to open up a downtown storefront to do this printing service. So moving from a standpoint of understanding, like, look, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to leave. I got plans for myself past, you know, Kokomo, but you decided to go a business route versus oh, there's plenty of jobs, especially in the 90s, early 2000s. What made you like, you know what, I want to go in business for myself? Well, the thing is, like my mindset started to think, okay, I need income. Well, at 12 years old, you really can't get hired, right? So I started with the printing business. And as that evolved, it just evolved directly into entrepreneurship. So... I wasn't necessarily against having a job, but because of my age, I started initially working for myself. And obviously, I didn't even know what I had, to be honest. And everybody's like, oh, that is so cool. There was some some business I earned truly based on merit, but I'll tell this to any young entrepreneur, you're going to earn quite a bit of business based on the cool factor that, hey, I'm doing business with a kid because a lot of people want to support kids, right? I mean especially a kid that's doing something positive. So a lot of my success came merely because I was a teenager, not even because it was so, so fantastic or anything like that. And that's just being 100% transparent. So being a young entrepreneur, going from a printing service, and then you graduated into like cellular devices, correct? Right. So, so I'm at my downtown office. I'm on the internet. I think it was DSL at the time. And 
Somehow I stumbled upon a prepaid website. It was called uh, Track Phone Wireless. I filled out Become a Dealer. I also stuck, and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. So I bought, you know, I found out how to buy phones wholesale. I didn't even know what that term meant. I had to Google that, look up wholesale. I was like, okay, I'll start selling prepaid phones. And then T-Mobile, which at that time was VoiceStream, which um, they were represented by Jamie Lee Curtis and then shortly after Catherine Zeta-Jones applied to be a dealer on their side. They actually called me. And they said, you sound kind of young. And I said, yeah, I think I was 15 at the time when they called me, 15 or 16. And they started laughing at me on the phone. They're like, well, whatever. We know you're not 15 or 16, but we'll see you in a few days. So they came and they're like, whoa, you really are. But this is very impressive. So my dad had to sign the agreement, but everything was ran by me. So I was T-Mobile's or Voicestream's youngest dealer. And probably, I mean, I don't know. I haven't checked with them. But I would say to this day, I'm probably their youngest dealer in history. So making history like that and... At that point in time, kind of having a buffer between coming from two avenues where you have, you're establishing yourself professionally because you're not successful and started a whole nother line of businesses. But now, like, you're still a student. You still got to knock out classes and still trying to forge your lane academically and professionally. How did you balance that? To be honest, I didn't balance it. I was primarily focused on my company and not on my grades. So my grades in school were horrific they didn't reflect my actual intelligence i mean i would say i was a cd student yeah where i excelled high in was in my business classes right because i mean i literally having w-2 employees as a kid i have meetings i have conferences i'm at kokomo high school and I mean, it's hard enough to be a high school student. It really is. I commend everybody going through high school. It's hard enough to do that. And to run actually, not eliminate stand business, but actually full-fledged business without a direct business mentor, that is almost nearly impossible. So, yeah, I, I struggled in school. It came to the point in my approaching my senior year, they said either, A, you're going to have to shut this business down, or B, you're going to have to probably drop out and try to get your GED. Well, I valued getting a high school diploma. I, I just, you know, I, I didn't want to go the route of getting a GED. I just didn't want to do that. So I closed my business right before my senior year, right before I turned 18 years old. I was 17. I closed my business. And, and here's another thing I, I knew. I was smart enough to know this. If I kept my business going into my senior year, not only would I not be able to possibly graduate because I was having struggles balancing the two, I knew any type of agreement that I would was actually in because some of the actually after my dad signed that T-Mobile agreement, everything else everybody let me sign, and I don't think everybody realized that you know these agreements was non-binding. I was 17 years old, so I thought, okay, I'm going. To to my senior year in August, at the end of August, I'm going to be 18. They're telling me I'm probably not going to graduate with this business. So I shut it down. July 31st, I shut the whole deal down because I knew I wouldn't be in agreement. I knew that I could talk to any vendors and anything. I could work it out a lot better as a kid than to flip it over to an adult. And no one actually taught me to do that. I just knew it on my own. So I shut it down graduated and even when i walked across the stage that day a lot of people don't know that i did not get my diploma i walked across the stage but i didn't get my diploma i had to come back for summer school for one class i think it was an english class 
but I can't recall for sure. But I had to come back one session in summer school, and then after I completed that successfully, I got my diploma. All right, so now my question is, because I'm getting a lot of information that I didn't even know about, it's more so do you think that traditional education is lacking or are we now becoming a point where innovation is key in law and you literally can write your own ticket? Yeah, well, I, I think it's a little bit of both, you know, and, and I don't want to fault teachers. I don't want to uh, fault administrators. I really value education. I don't know that it has to be traditional. But everybody is wired differently, right? So when I'm looking at, you know, my past and how I did it, one thing that would have helped me for sure if I had a mentor, because I had the drive, I had the energy, and I still do, and I had all the right things to be an entrepreneur, but the thing that would have really set me up was to having a mentor. And unfortunately for me, I had people that cared about me, I had people that wanted to see me win, but I didn't have that mentorship. So for me, I think it was very vital that I completed that high school diploma for myself, just knowing that I could do it and go to that next step. So to answer your question, I think education, is, especially with COVID-19, it has changed. A lot of education is virtual. And even, I don't know, I didn't mention this, but my second semester of my freshman year, I enrolled in correspondence school via Indiana University of Bloomington. So... I withdrew from Kokomo, went to correspondence school. I, I don't think I got any credits, and if I did, it was like one business credit because I didn't do my work, right? I was focused on the business. I was so focused on the business, I didn't do work. So that didn't work out for me either. So my second semester in my sophomore year, I returned back to Kokomo High School. And keeping in the midst of all this, my sophomore year, I lost my mother right around Christmas, like maybe nine days before Christmas. So having that extreme life change and you're still trying to maneuver through school, education, your business, how do you move forward? Like, like, cause that's a traumatic moment and a lot of people either fold or they get up and try to keep pushing and they, you know, grieve in their own way. I mean, I definitely kept my business. I didn't close my business because of it. It was very, very hard. Like I said, I have five older brothers and sisters. At that point, I was fully moved in with my youngest sister. And she's, you know, 18 years older than me. So, and she had a daughter, which is my niece. So I was living with my niece and my sister trying to maneuver. My sister was, you know, a hard worker. She did the best she could for us. She was, uh, you know, she worked, she was a, a factory worker. So she worked at Chrysler. I think she worked afternoon. So we didn't see her much after school. When she got home, it was around 11 or 12. We were in the bed. So it was just, it, it, it was just, that was how we had to live. You know, I went to work. <laughs> my transportation initially was a moped. I think I got my first car when I was, I don't know, maybe 17, 16, 17. It was a Ford Escort. I'll never forget it. It was a manual shift, and I bought it from my oldest sister's husband. It was a green, dark green Ford Escort manual shift, compact vehicle. Bought that, but I think I was 17 years old when I bought that. But at any rate, it, it, it was definitely hard for sure. All right. And now going back to the business aspect, because I had a question that was posed to me that I definitely want to pose to you. So do you think, is there a glass ceiling on race in corporate America? Because I know you've done it and you were a police officer at one point in time. You've also been an entrepreneur. But do you believe there's a glass ceiling by being a black male? Um... I think, here's what I think, by being a black male, there's additional struggles you may face. 
And unfortunately, you don't always know them because they're not clear as day. And you know, one thing with going back and forth with the race issue is it, it's so hard because it's offensive to a certain demographic of people. Some people want to pretend like it doesn't happen. Some people, I mean, there's just so many different, you know, perspectives of race and in business and in law enforcement. Those are very um, controversial topics, if you will. So for me, I may have experienced racism sometimes and I didn't know it. And then there are sometimes I experienced racism and, and I didn't know it. And there were sometimes I didn't experience racism, but I thought I did, if that makes sense. So it's really, it's really hard to de- define it because you don't ever want to play, you put yourself in a victim mentality and say, this is not happening for me because I'm a black male. Because then you're, all, you're setting yourself up to lose mentally. And if you lose mentally, you know, anybody knows that you, 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 there's no way to win physically. So um, it's extremely difficult. Uh, and it's not just being black. There's all the things that come with being a black male, right? Because typically... Lower income household, usually a single parent household, you know, raised by their mother. So I met all those things. So had I had a, a father in my household, had I had a mentor, had I been in a different neighborhood, would my success level be further along at the age of 35 than it is now? Interesting question that you pose, and I think that's something that, especially in Kokomo, where we grew up from, it's it was really rare to see a two-parent household, especially amongst black kids. And that's not to say we didn't know who our father was or anything to say, but some of our parents either got divorced, were never together, just a smorgasbord of things to kind of figure out what is and what wasn't. Right, I, I completely agree with you. Like I said, I knew my, who my father was. I lost him later on in life. I was... I think 23 was is right in the middle of my process to my process of becoming a, a police officer. So, I mean, I completely understand that. In my senior year, I didn't mention, but I actually worked for Sears my senior year. Then I got right back into business after I graduated high school and I got into uh, wireless and I opened up a couple of uh, locations in the Markland Mall there in Kokomo with a police officer. He became a partner of mine. Um, only officer at that time he was the only officer on patrol african-american and i met him through just riding along with the police and we became partners and opened up unlimited wireless it was a wireless store that we we launched all right so my question now is being a civilian in law enforcement and now back being a civilian what do you make of what's going on, especially in the Derek Shaven chase? Like, I know it's a very hotbed topic. It's either one side or the other, but what is your personal view? <laughs> that was, uh, that is a very, very uh, unfortunate, and that's not, I don't even think that's even the correct word. That's a, a tragic thing that happened in the world, in the, in the African-American community, in the law enforcement community, and it, obviously, I think George Floyd should be alive today, right? I, I, I truly believe that. And I, it, it's really hard. So as prior law enforcement and, or as definitely current law enforcement, it's really hard to comment on why somebody did something at a scene because you were not there and you're going by video, right? So it's really hard for me to make a, but just from what I've seen, just from what I, you know, what I know, man, that officer, there's no reason George Floyd should be dead, you know, from the video I seen. Now, I'm not a judge, right? I'm not a judge. I haven't, I don't have all the facts of the case. I don't know, I don't know 
any type of circumstances other than what's available in the media that I see. So that's what that opinion is based on. But I definitely support the Black Lives Matter movement. I don't support the looting, any, any criminal acts. But I support the concept, the movement of, hey, these type of things can't go on in our country or really in the world. I 100% back that. I don't forget where I come from. I came from East Taylor Street. I came from a predominantly black neighborhood. I worked on a predominantly white police department. I've had a ton of struggles within that department while I was there and even after I left. I met a ton of good officers, a, a lot of good friends while I was there and after I left. All right, so right now, I want to just bring it up to date with the, of course, I started the episode off with you being a serial entrepreneur, and I know it didn't just stop with the printing company. I know it didn't just stop with Unlimited Wireless. So catch me up to date with what you're doing right this second. So, yeah, so after I left the the, the um, police department, I, I tried to get back into wireless. Well, when I originally got into wireless, it was like when I tried to get back in it, just in that time from selling our company to it, it was like a year and a half you know I, let, I stayed on police department almost to a year and it went from a ten thousand dollar investment just due to how licenses were to it was going to cost well over a hundred grand to get back into the same game that just you know less than two years prior cost ten grand so there's a barrier to entry right i didn't have $150,000 to get back into the industry. Didn't have it. So I became an employee. I worked for some companies. I worked for T-Mobile. I worked for Verizon Wireless. And then I, I, at Verizon, I was like, I loved what I was getting. I got I got some skill sets, right? Some skills from just being in a corporate environment. But the income wasn't there. I wasn't a six-figure earner, and that bothered me. So... I made some calls. I, you know, I talked to some mentors, some business mentors. One of those mentors I actually spoke with was Grant Cardone. Um, I actually spoke with him over the phone, and he suggested that I, you know, come and work for him or work for an organization like his. And um, I went through that whole process, and in that process of working through him, I discovered a company called Angie's List. They connect homeowners with high-quality contractors, and that put me in a seat where I could make six figures so i left verizon to go to angie's list first time i've ever did b2b sales meaning selling business to business making cold calls i learned quick i had some great successes right out the gate i was almost natural at it and it gave me the wherewithal to launch food precinct which is my restaurant marketing firm that connects hungry diners with restaurants Right, so that skill set that I learned at Angie's List was really the base for me to start Food Precinct, and I started that back in 2014. Still worked at Angie's List, took a leave of absence from Angie's List, and within six months of launching Food Precinct, I resigned from Angie's List and haven't looked back. Like, like we're going on this November will be seven years strong. We've sold licenses to expand in multiple states, including Missouri, Mississippi, several cities throughout Indiana, including Marion and Muncie and Fort Wayne. And we've just, we've just been growing and we've experienced challenges for sure. Every day we experience challenges. We sometimes experience challenges and, you know, there's different, different aspects. Some restaurants don't want their food delivered. Some 
restaurants do want their food delivered, but they don't want to, you know, really officially partner or provide funding. So we experience all those different challenges, and I work through those business problems and issues every single day of my life. And I love, I'm very thankful for the opportunity and for the mindset that God has provided me because without him, I definitely wouldn't be where I'm at now. I love the freedom, the, the ability. It's a Saturday morning, it's 11 o'clock, and I can uh, chat with you on a podcast. You know, everybody wouldn't have that opportunity if you call or reach out to somebody that's, you know, not necessarily an entrepreneurship. They may respond back to you, well, I have to be at work and I can't be on my phone. So just the ability to make my own decisions every day, I love it. All right, and I also want to make sure I highlight your laundry subscription service that you launched in 2019. But due to COVID, just, you know, had to retool and you're actually launching it this year. Talk about that, man. Yeah, yeah. So in 2019, I, I decided, okay, let's open up an, another vertical. I've kind of, I've experienced delivery and logistics and marketing. I've learned a lot through Food Precinct. How do we start with a clean slate and do another vertical? So I, I did some research. I was like, okay, laundry. We live in the Midwest. We're usually not early adopters, right? We're not like New York or San Francisco. So I was like, okay, let's do laundry subscription in Kokomo, Indiana. It was tried and failed by another laundromat owner here. He made me aware of that, and I went at it again. So in 2019, I started building it. As I was building it, Food Precinct started taking more of my time. We were getting to our busy season, so I paused it. Prior to COVID, right? I'm not going to say COVID was the reason why I paused okay. it, but I, I paused it prior to COVID. I didn't go back to it in 2020 during COVID. 2021, this year, February, relaunched it, took off, right? In the middle of February, we relaunched it, or I relaunched it. I'm the sole, you know, sole founder. And the next month, we did right under 10 grand in revenue. Very good start. We're going for it, you know, month over month. We want to see growth, but we're at the very beginning of it. Um, I'm very excited about what I, I can do. I'm very excited about the expansion plans for Laundry on the Way. There's a lot of potential in this company. There's a lot of potential still in Food Precinct, but the difference between those two is that Laundry is not as saturated as restaurant delivery because I'm going against companies that are publicly traded like Grubhub and DoorDash, and I want to keep privately held companies. That's not the route I want to take. I think if I was a publicly traded company, I may be I may be fired like uh, uh, Mr. Steve Jobs from Apple just because of my personality. I I think and we wouldn't be able to pay our people what we pay them if we were publicly traded because if we were publicly traded, our focus would be a big focus would be on investor returns. So I want to stay private. Got you. All right. Well, I'm about to wrap up this episode, but I definitely want to make sure they can reach to you and how they can do that. So how can they follow you, man? Yeah. So definitely I have a Facebook public page and a private page is under T-Y, capital T period, capital Y period, gray, and gray spelled G-R-A-Y. Facebook is where I'm most active as far as social media. I'm also on LinkedIn, Tyrone Gray on LinkedIn. They want to support either one of my businesses or if they're wanting to start their own laundry service or if they want to start their own restaurant delivery service, but they don't want to franchise, but they need mentorship. They want to leverage our brand, but they want to be in control over it. Licensing would be a great opportunity, and we can help them with that. So they can go to foodprecinct.com, they can go to laundryontheway.com, or they can message our Facebook pages, get a hold of us. 
They want to call Laundry on the Way to schedule a pickup in the areas that we service in St. Louis or in Indiana, Howard, Tipton, and Hamilton counties. They can call us 765 450 6437 or they can email me tyty.gray at laundryontheway.com or tyty.gray, G R A Y, at foodprecinct.com. Just like that, this man is on the move. He's a boss in his own right. And Ty, I appreciate you joining the podcast. Hey, I appreciate you having me on there. No problem. We will talk to you soon next Monday for another episode of What Do I Do Now?